You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Well, I've got to justify my classics degree somehow. I'm K.A. Dor. I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marshall Ryan Moreska, and this is episode 26, Take Pride in Your World Building. Welcome to our guest today. K.A. Dorr is joining us here on World Building for Masochists. Um, and I'm so excited that you were able to join us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your books? Uh, yeah, I can do that. Um, first of all, thank you so much for letting me on here today and allowing me into your space. And hopefully I will be articulate. Um, but yes, I am K.A. Dorr. I go by Kai for the most part. That's what the K stands for. The A stands for whatever you want it to. Um, Ooh, do we get to pick? This will be fun you later. can pick. Yeah. <laughs> I usually say it's for Aardvark or Anteater. Artichoke? Yeah, Artichoke. Armadillo. Awesome. But that's, yeah. Awesome. Oh, Armadillo. I love Armadillos. Oh, love um, it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I'm an I'm the author of the Chronicles of Gadid trilogy, which is also known as the Queer Assassins Save the Day series. Um, and that started with The Perfect Assassin, which came out last year, which is a murder mystery with rooftop fights, angry ghosts, and an assassin who'd rather be a historian. Um, then the second book also came out last year, which is The Impossible Contract, which is an adventure fantasy with necromancy, lesbians, and undead camels. Because why would you have not Undead Camels. Um, and the third book actually comes out next month, also known as June, which might be this month. I think by the time this airs, that is this month. That is this month. It comes out this month. this month. That is this month. That's crazy. Um, and it's a little harder to sum up this one because not as many people have read it. And also because it was just, it was a really painful book to write in a lot of ways, but also a very fun book to write in a lot of ways. And it's just as gay as the rest of it. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> well, and when, when I talked to Kai about coming on this podcast and I said, what do you want to talk about? And she said, can we talk about making it gay? Can we talk about queer world building? And we said, yes, yes. that would be absolutely fantastic because it's something that we've talked about a lot intersecting with other topics that we've discussed on the podcast, like sex and like families and all kinds of stuff um but we haven't kind of delved into into that as a topic itself so i'm really excited that you're here with us um to dive into that topic a little bit more and i'm always here to talk about queer shit <laughs> especially <laughs> when it comes to world building well we're in the right place yes perfect so i guess to start out um what have you read recently that have done a really good job with queer world building and who who deserves who have you read that deserves props for doing it well besides yourself obviously <laughs> <laughs> i can never say myself um and there's actually been quite a few recently so it took me a while to narrow down from a wide breadth of um authors and books because god there's just been such a like i don't want to say renaissance but a flood of queer books in the last few years that have actually been good and have actually put some thought into world building, but not off the top of my head. Um, Sam Hawk's City of Lies and her sequel, Hollow Empire, which will be coming out uh, this December, 
um, are stand apart from the other books that I was thinking about in that they're not only queer norm, which I can define later, um, but they also put a lot more thought and world building behind it. Like there's kind of more of a reason why um, being queer and being gay in this world is normal instead of some of the other softer queer norm. It's just what the book is. That's where que being queer is normal. Um, and I guess I can define that. I'm sure that's not as usual a word as people <laughs> that's it's not a term we've had come up yet in this podcast yes thank no you. it isn't it's it not isn't. a common term and there we go and i think it's a i think it's a helpful one for the rest of this podcast yes. to establish a definition for because i think we're going to be using it a lot yeah probably so queer norm um is something that i came across in the last few years and it's basically taking a world and just assuming queerness queer identities all the way across the rainbows the quilt bag spectrum is normal and that there isn't any homophobia or transphobia or any of those other trappings around that. Um, and that's just, that basic premise is enough to be queer norm. And then there are other ways that you can have it be queer norm where you actually approach the world building and think about what that would do to the world as well. So there's soft queer norm, which is basically taking something more like our world and just applying no homophobia to it. And then there's deeper levels of queer norm. So Sam Hawke's books, both of them, City of Lies and Hollow Empire, um, are that deeper level of queer norm where they not only apply that broader, like it's nobody's going to look twice if somebody is gay or lesbian or trans or bi or anywhere else on the spectrum. Um, and there is some world building to support that. So I really like that about her books because that was one of the first times, not the only first time that I'd come across that in fantasy, but it was very refreshing, and especially in her follow-up book, Hollow Empire, which again comes out in December, um, she really underlines that world-building aspect because she also has other cultures and countries that come up and do things a little bit differently, and some of them are queer norm as well, and some of them aren't as queer norm, and it kind of just like, you get different flavors and you get a better understanding of why things are the way they are. Um, I guess I could also say a little bit about what that book is actually about. <laughs> so City of Lies is a murder mystery during a siege with two protagonists who are siblings and they are actually siblings who like each other, which you don't get as much. Um, and they're very supportive of each other. And then Hollow Empire is more of an assassin mystery. So there are murders happening, but they have to figure out who's doing the murders instead of just one murder happening, which is what happened in the first story. Um, and it's a greater world with um, magic and gods that rise from lakes and all sorts of cool bits of world building. And then there's also speaking in that like broader scope um, of world building and having queer norm aspects is Ruin of Kings by Jen Lyons. And I believe you've had her on before. Um, <laughs> yes, we have had Jen on. Yeah, and I, this is the point where I confess that I've only read Ruin of Kings, but I know enough about the subsequent books that I know that she explores other aspects. So she, her first book is actually not as queer norm as other parts of her books, and there is some like latent homophobia in there. But she contrasts that with other cultures and other areas that don't have that homophobia or treat it completely differently or think about it completely differently. And it's just really, really well done. So I would recommend both of those as 
examples of really good queer world building. So I'm going to ask a question and this is, you know, coming from straight white guy. So huge grain of salt in terms of, you know, <laughs> if I'm just asking a stupid question, feel free to smack me virtually across the screen. So I would think that there are two very different levels of what you're calling queer norm. One where, mm -hmm. say, homophobia does not exist within within the culture that you're you're showing. And another is where a queer identity is the cultural norm of of the culture. Those would be yes. two very different things. And those yes. are both directions you might want to go in, in in your world building process. Yes. And either direction you go in, you should definitely be intentional about it and ask yourself why you're picking in that direction. And one thing that I think that we have, you know, I don't know if we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I think that Marshall and I have like blathered about this like <laughs> randomly is that there's a difference between something not being in your book and something intentionally not being in your world. And so when you think about intentionally not having homophobia in your world, that is built differently than just not having homophobic incidents happen in your book. Yes, because you could have a book. Yeah, you could have a story. You could have a world where homophobia is still a thing. And then you just step around those incidents because, you know, they're not always a part of everyday life. Some of us go weeks and months without experiencing any homophobia, and some of us don't, unfortunately. So that is one thing you can do is step around those. Um, or you can intentionally build a world where homophobia does not exist. And it's not something that right. your character would fear. Right. And it's not something that, you know, I think that it's, you know, if you imagine our culture, um, and especially, you know, if you stretch our culture back, you know, say 50 years and think about 50 years worth of norms and experiences and how people experienced our world, you couldn't just go in with a pair of tweezers and pull out homophobia and not touch anything else, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that there, that intentionality is, is important because it's not just about sanitizing an unpleasant thing out of a world. It's about building a world that is internally consistent and coherent um, without that thing. And what does that, what does that look like and how does it work? And what do you, what do you do? Yeah. yeah, because it's it's looking at a world that allows space for those queer relationships for where versus a world where you have to claw that space out. Like right now, I mentioned that experiencing homophobia in my day to day life is not not a thing right now. But I still when my wife and I got married, we had to claw our own rituals and we had to completely dismantle like the way marriages are usually set up to figure out what would work for us, because that is not an institution in the last 100, 200 years that has even remotely thought about same gender marriages. So that's, that's something to like keep in mind if you are thinking about if you're going to have a queer norm world where there's homophobia, but it's more within the structure of society versus blatant um, experiences, then your rituals and your your everyday experiences will reflect that versus if you have a world where queer norm means that like your world has space for those queer relationships. It already has those rituals. It already has those expectations. And it might have different expectations for queer relationships versus other ones, but it wouldn't necessarily weigh them um, any more or any less. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's something that, you know, as a straight person, I'm recognizing more and more that the work that marginalized people have done to claw those spaces creates more space 
for non-marginalized people too. Mm-hmm. That by defining relationships in in ways that force re-examination of those norms, it kind of lets everyone else like bonk themselves on the head and be like, oh, oh, that actually applies to the rest of us too. We should be thinking about these things. You know, this, you know, it's something as small as what last name should we take in this, mm-hmm. you know, partnership. That's a question that all of us can ask, but has become, I think, more normal due in large part to the fact that, you know, queer people are bringing that to the forefront and saying, hey, this is a question that we're asking. Oh, oh, hey, you know what? I should ask that, too. We should all ask this. Let's ask these questions and interrogate those things. And so I think that if you think about a world in which um, already has the space or is constantly negotiating new space, for queer people, it affects everyone else too. It's not like it's, you know, you put that in a box and you say, oh, well, this really only affects this subset of people. Like it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a lot of definitions that are different and understood differently because of that. Yeah, or at least different structures that take that into account. Like your way of inheriting property will probably be a little bit different, or at least acknowledge the fact that it can come through a matrilineal line or a patrilineal line. (laughs) I think almost every time that we on this podcast have messed around the question of family and inheritance, (laughs) it has immediately jumped out and said, well, this means that, you know, all these things can be different now because so much I think of our heteronormative just world is is because of who inherits the stuff yeah and who gets the name and who inherits the title and so much of it is just tied in with that that if you take that norm away and i think that we we played around with this like in our 13 families that we created on air where children are raised by like the clan basically they don't belong to the parents they belong to Mm -hmm. well all of a sudden it doesn't matter what your relationship is with the other you know biological parent it doesn't matter what relationships you carry on after that initial relationship because the kids aren't going to be inheriting from you they're inheriting from some other entity mm-hmm. so that's like you just china meville's embassy town that's it's a society very much set up in that same way where you have like a, a crush of children and their parents don't really matter you have the mother figures who take care of them but outside of that like they don't have family outside of their crush their crush becomes their family And um, I think Ada Palmer's To Like the Lightning is a bit like that, too, where they basically choose their family. And that's I forget all the I forget all the terms. It's been a few years, but they end up choosing basically their clan, which becomes their family. And so their mother and father figures don't matter as much. Sometimes they exist, but they don't have that same responsibility because it's more that structure that already exists that becomes the family becomes a family structure right and then that that just creates all kinds of fun ripple effects mm-hmm. that you can play with if you're willing to play with family structure you have so much fun that you can play with it's like <laughs> we're all going Mwah, ha, ha, ha. I know, oh, I can we do? <laughs> I know alexandra rowling did that in their um conspiracy of truths book because they they experimented with family structure as well because that, that was another queer norm mm-hmm. book that i was thinking about and the fact that it played with family structure they had multiple like adults basically forming one family and then the children were kind of one moms but also part of the other one there was a it was an interesting mix it wasn't just straightforward like the children were part of 
that entire family. So it's more of a polygamy thing, dynamic going on. And having any sort of polygamous dynamic as a cultural norm is another way you can express this in your world building, certainly. You can, you can make, mm-hmm. you can easily make, like, you know, a group marriage of however many be the norm of the culture that you're expressing. Yeah, or that can be not only, it could be the norm, it could also be the, what is that called? When one part of the society has something over the other part of the society status symbol it can be a status symbol as well because families as they get bigger uh, who is paying for all those children and who can feed who is paying for all the caretaking adults in that family so you kind of end up getting a status symbol it's not quite a harem kind of thing but it's still like i have this big family clearly i have the resources i am so wealthy i can have seven spouses exactly (laughs) And it doesn't matter what gender they are, because I'm supporting exactly. them, or we're inter-supporting, or we have some kind of massive mercantile empire. Either way, it's like your status is elevated. Because, I mean, that was kind of the way marriage was originally, not originally, marriage has gone through multiple iterations, but one of the <laughs> more recent iterations was more of that mercantile aspect of joining one family to another, and it was all about property. It wasn't necessarily about love so much. Um, So that would be another aspect that you could look into. It's like, you you might have two men marrying because, not necessarily because they're in love, but because they're just trying to join their mercantile empires together, which is also a lot of fun. Right. It's a a business enterprise. Exactly. It's not, you know... Yeah. I suppose suppose we'll get along, but, you know, aside from that... They have so much money, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) One can live in one house with his mistresses and whatever the other gendered word for mistresses i remember um <laughs> our our listeners on the discord chat talked about an idea of of families having arranged marriages where they make the arrangement before the children are born and it doesn't matter what gender the children are going to be it's like no you two are getting married period that's just that's just how it's going to be and that's an interesting <laughs> I'm here idea. For it. yeah i think that's a really interesting idea yeah. and we should somebody should write the book that does that Yes, I, I, I would love to read that book. I would because it's it's such a fun like I mean that's such a trope right, right. in in romance and in historical fiction and that you know I'm I am pledged to be married to someone but I don't love him kind of thing and then you just add that layer of and I'm not straight or and I'm not gay <laughs> and, <laughs> and I like... I didn't think I was gay. Right. But now I'm and thinking just... about her lips all the time. I don't know what happened I'm, there. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, maybe I guess we'll be forced together in a room with only one bed. Only one bed. <laughs> and then there's a bath scene. Oh, goodness. There's always a bath scene. <laughs> we'll just layer on all of the tropes. Because the, the bathing is a, is a part of the marriage ritual. It's just expected. Yes, of course. <laughs> Marshall doubles down. <laughs> so that's when they see each other for the first time, too, is during the bathing ritual. That's that's actually really good. I... <laughs> <laughs> and only one will leave. I think it's it's kind of a fun question to play with, too, of, you know, and this this is tied to queer world building, but it's also just kind of in general, is marriage the upshot of a relationship in mm. your world? Mm-hmm. Is the point of getting together with someone that you're hoping for a long-term 
lifelong or at least very long commitment? Are you hoping to cohabitate with them? Is that something that you you want? You know, I mean, I, th I think that you could certainly have a very happy little world that you build where people are like, no, I like living by myself. And that mm -hmm. is the goal is to never have to live with another person again. Yes. I want to have enough money that I cannot have to share my house with other people. And just 10 cats. Yes, I, just 10 cats and an aloe vera plant. And, and that's, I'm good. Do you need um, anything else, really? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, I think that's something to kind of play with. You know, do you... Do you, you know, regardless of if the relationship is straight, queer, whatever, do, do you want to live with them? Is, is that, that a cultural expectation? World? Right. Right. And that's another thing that queer people have had to figure out on their own since we didn't have marriage until more recently. Like, And there were even queer people who were against marriage because they thought it would be, it would have to become the norm and it would be getting rid of all those other ways of having a relationship and basically instituting that lifelong monogamy when lifelong monogamy isn't necessarily what everybody wants or needs. So having those other relationships outside of a marriage, you could just have a marriage be a strictly mercantile event. And then you could have other rituals around different kinds of relationships instead. And I'm always fascinated by, and it's, it's like a norm that we don't talk about in our own history very much, but how frequently people of a wealthy status didn't share a bedroom mm -hmm. and it's like you know if you think about it it's actually kind of nice like you know <laughs> you, get to, you get to decorate it the way you want no one's snoring but it's also nice to share a bedroom with someone that you'd care deeply for but it's just it's interesting to kind of like challenge those norms of like why would people want to live this way and oh there actually are reasons that people would want to live this way it makes it makes sense mm -hmm. this past weekend we just binge watch the great which i deeply enjoyed but one of the things is it has catherine the great has her own bedroom and and emperor peter has his own bedroom which is technically only his but his best friend and his best friend's wife are just always also sleeping in the bed with him all the time <laughs> i mean those beds are pretty big and pretty lonely they were pretty big and yeah but it, it it was a fascinating that their their dynamic was very much this sort of like, but oh no, we're just always just going to be sleeping in the bed, even though sometimes the his best friend, his best friend's wife were kind of like, kind of wanted just to be in our own bed, but the emperor has commanded. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I actually, I worked in a, in a historic house museum for a while and they were, they were a two bedroom house. And it was funny because, like, his bedroom was like this very, like, stayed, like, golds and brocades. And hers was pink. It was, like, pink barfed all over this room. And it was just roses everywhere. And it was like, this is, this is definitely two very different people who are living together in this big house. And each needed their space, <laughs> apparently. I mean, you do what you have to, I guess. You do, you do, and she clearly liked pink a lot, which is <laughs> fine. Yeah, but <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. It's a color. These are also things you can build into your world building and your culture and your characters. Of does marriage mean sharing a home? Does it mean does it mean sexuality? Does it mean sl physically sleeping together? Like, are you? Why are you expected to sleep in the same bed if you just want your space in the bed? They can just sleep on the well, floor and... if they want to stretch out. Yeah. Seriously. 
But I guess if you well, have and, your two mercantile kingdoms and you have all that money, you can afford the extra bedroom. So This is true. You know, and speaking of, of pink, I think that pink immediately evokes a certain a certain gender expectation um, when we talk about it in our modern world. But I think that, you know, segueing a little bit, you know, you can really play with gender norms as well within a world. And does a pink exploded, pink barfed all over my bedroom have to mean a very feminine woman, like not in a world that you build otherwise? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that there's, you know, a lot of room within queer world building to really push back on gender norms too. And to say, well, what is, what does that even mean? Well, and gender norms are so, so cultural. Um, I mean, speaking of just the pink thing, I'm sure you both know about the whole pink used to be the masculine color and blue used to be the feminine color because pink was basically red, which of course is the masculine color full of blood and blue is the color of <laughs> um, St. Mary, Mary, Virgin Mary, of course. Yeah, Virgin Mary. Yeah. And then somehow through marketing magic that got swapped. So it's all just what you're raised with and what you're raised with expectations. You can pick whatever color you want to be the feminine color if you want a feminine color if you even want a feminine yeah exactly color. you don't even need to you can have it you can have it not be gendered you could have the colors around your social class instead or around what you what your family does for a living or you can you know play with genders in other ways so definitely you don't have to start and end with pink and even if you think about the roles that people play in society you know we've kind of played with the ideas of well <laughs> I feel like we often in fantasy will play a lot more with women getting to be in quote unquote masculine roles like women soldiers and women as assassins and women as rulers and women as um, and we don't often push the other way quite as much that you can build a world in which men are your nurturers and caretakers or men are your nursing staff or you know all kinds of different things and I think that you, as you were talking about before, making space, I think that this is one of those things that, that world building can create space for. Well, and even more recently, we can look at our own world. Men used to be the nursing staff, and women used to be the programmers, and men used to be the teachers, and women used to be other things. <laughs> I think <laughs> well, I was thinking even just... an, another, um, men used to be more in the biology specter realm, too. And now that that biology is seen more as a feminine science. So even in the last like 20 or 30 years, we've seen those perceptions sh shift and move over time. And even a lot of those perceptions that we think that we have are really from a very narrow sliver of history that you kind of have that like 19th century domestic sphere norm that gets reiterated with like the 1950s nuclear household beaver cleaver kind of thing but that if you push back further you have women in all kinds of roles and men in all kinds of roles that we don't necessarily jump to immediately you know when we think about it so you can really history can surprise us and actually provide some fun inspiration and you can also go further with that and remember that you know, in 10 years, a lot can change even in your world and the world that you're building. So maybe there have been similar 
shifts in gender dynamics um, in roles and you can explore why that's happened and what kind of um, changes that's made in your broader society as well. And since you're doing secondary world building, you can also throw history and historical accuracy out the damn window. And... No, 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 no. I mean, yes, but no, but yes. But you have to at least have an understanding of how history moves. True. And, yes. and how it informs, how history informs your, your present as well as your understanding of your past. Yes. So you can't completely so I, I... throw it out. I see I see where you're going to Marshall though with the as soon as you do anything that people perceive as being a historical different or, oh, yes, or regard, pushing yes. an envelope then you have that person who comes back and says but historical accuracy <laughs> they didn't have gay people back oh then oh my god that don't didn't make me exist and first off <laughs> first off just no, that's not how any of this works. But, can but no, 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 no. Gayness was invented in 1972. 1853. Get it right. The patent on it. There's, there's, there's paperwork in the U.S. Patent Office. We came up with this new thing. It's called being gay. We, we put in a patent for it. We're just waiting to hear back. It'll be pretty great in about 500 years. <laughs> But, you know, it's even just putting it, it's like, it, it, it always amazes me that people will suspend disbelief for dragons and magic and tiny fairies that have magic potions that make you do crazy things. But then when you're like, and in this world, uh, there's no homophobia. They're like, what? <laughs> Hold on. And it's, you know... Look, I can handle yes. teleportation spells and dragon flame and all that, but you have two guys kissing. I don't know. <laughs> so I do want to briefly defend that because I'm a terrible person. Um, in that, that stems from the world building you did, because a lot of the times when people are pushing back against there being any homophobia in these worlds is because you built a world too like our own. And people... Cannot, I mean, right now we still have a lot of homophobia and it's not super normal to be queer. So that's when you have to really like look at your world building and not just completely get rid of homophobia and not change anything else. Because that's right. when it starts to feel off. Right. It's not ahistorical yes. because it's a secondary world and gayness has always existed in many beautiful ways and forms and across time and space. <laughs> but it can, if you just mimic our current social structure, then... Uh, I understand I understand readers who are then like wait a minute like that's that doesn't this quite doesn't, feel right this doesn't feel right and I think that's it's about internal consistency at that yes. point you know what is what is your actual comparison is your comparison to does this work within the world or is your comparison I expect my fantasy to mimic my understanding of history and therefore I am put off by it and the former is a completely legitimate criticism um, and can be a very intelligent criticism. And the latter is like, oh, buddy, yeah. <laughs> go on. Go Maybe on you with you. Maybe should go back and read your books from the 70s that haven't yes, changed. Yes, go. You know what? This book was not for you. And, and that's okay. And we'll come back good to day. you in about 20 years when hopefully you've grown and learned. But yeah, no, gay people have been around forever. Even though you could make the argument that the current cultural conception of homosexuality is new as of the last 100, 150, oh god, we're in the, 
It's 2020. Um, 200 years ish. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting what century we're in. <laughs> what century are we in? God. Um, you could make that argument, but men loving men, women loving me- women, and all the flavors in between have been around since humans have been around. It just depending on what culture you're in, there's different cultural lenses that that's viewed through. Right. Well, in the way that we, yeah, exactly how we how we view it, how how one identifies oneself, and then the language that we use to then then explain that, I think has has that effect where you know, you're defining a thing, but then the definition also begins to inform how you understand it. So if you look at how even over the past, you know, 200 years, people have talked about sexuality has has changed, and I think has actually also affected how we think about our own identity and our own, our own understanding, which is kind of a weird cyclical thing. But yeah, it's almost like <laughs> words shape reality and reality shapes our words. And it's this long, yes. endless cycle <laughs> because humans are beautiful and complex. And, and I love them. And so weird. I and know. I love it. I love what are they doing? Are. What are humans doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like that's kind of where my classics degree comes from, comes into this, is that part of my studies were on... <clears throat> homosexuality in Greece and Rome and the way that they viewed it then was they would not have considered themselves gay because they're off having sex with women but they're also having sex with boys and it's just it's more of a status and an age thing than it is necessarily a gender thing I guess I could go on about that Yes, that's. I was like, this is this is interesting, and I'm like processing like, and there are so many ways that you could apply exactly, and so you can just kind of you can look at it through our lens of our myriad of identities that are very much based around who you're dating and who you're attracted to, and whether or not you're attracted to somebody, or you can look at it um, through other cultural lenses. And again, the one I'm most familiar with is that like classical Roman one, which is the older man. Who pursues the younger boy and it's kind of seen as a um like an educational <laughs> it's it's kind of messed up but it's kind of seen as a <laughs> as an educational role because the older man is not only like funding the younger man and teaching him and finding him teachers um but it's, so it's also a whole patron th- patron yeah thing? it's patreon <laughs> i mean that's where patrons <laughs> come from that is literally that is literally where it comes from. So aren't we glad we live in this day and age where we don't actually have to have sex with our patrons? <laughs> that's at a level of that you have to unlock. That's yeah. No. But yeah, so that, that was seen as okay. Um, and there are some laws about whether or not, like if it was actually out in the open, whether or not that was legal, but behind the scenes, nobody gave a shit. Um, but then there was some, there were people would look down on, you know, an older man, having that same relationship with a man older than him, like that was frowned upon. Or an older man having the same relationship with somebody his own age and his own status. So that's that's where it comes down to, it's not necessarily about them both being men, it's all about their status and their age and this weird mixture of benefits giving and taking. And then of course, you know, the Romans didn't give a shit about what women were doing because women, <laughs> women were less than nothing to them, but there were also lesbians back then too. And it was, that was more of a mutual affair, but they weren't writing about it because only the men were really writing back then. It's fine. 
<laughs> and so, I mean, there's all these different intersections you can play with in terms of what are cultural expectations, what are cultural norms, mm-hmm. what are what are the legal expectations? Like, are there specific laws or about it or not? And do people pay attention to to those laws or not? Or is are it, they enforced? Are they enforced? Are they selectively or is... enforced? Yeah. Is it one of those things where it's like, you know, in Florida, there's a law against parking your elephant at the meter. Is that going to be enforced? Or will that just be enforced when the guy you don't like parks his elephant at the meter? Are, are the laws used the, just... Or the... No, is... but like, are the laws used just to be like, well, we want to get you for something, so we're using this law in the book to get you. Yeah, exactly. Even we're, though we wouldn't normally... We're not actually like going to go evasion. after there it, but it's, it's there in case we are actually looking for something else but we found this yeah so haha and this was and this was partially also calcified law like they had laws on the books for centuries that you know they wouldn't actually enforce and no one actually cared about but every once in a while something would come up that they would then drag some laws out from centuries ago and be like well you did this terrible thing that was illegal 300 years ago and nobody else has ever been prosecuted for and then they'll string them up so you got to have your ancient laws. Yes. I think in in the nearest town to me, there actually still is a law on the books that you can't give a monkey a cigarette. <laughs> you know, fair. Which, they get you mean. know, and, and when, you, when you have that whole, like, you don't end up with a law unless there was a perceived problem. Right. Like, there was definitely a story. Monkeys there. were running around <laughs> with cigarettes. Good God. Was this a serious issue? Apparently. Wow. I, I mean, have you come across wow. nicotine addicted monkeys? They are they are nasty. I imagine. When they're going through I withdrawal, imagine. they will cut you. And 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 the and the patch won't work cuz the no. fur. <laughs> exactly. So... And you can't shave you can't get close enough to shave it off. No. Cuz again, they're angry they will cut you. They want a cigarette and it's yeah. illegal to give them one and, oh, and it's yeah, it's mess. just mm. You, you know, there's some story where they wanted to try to get some guy for arson, and he's like, I didn't start the fire. I just gave that monkey a cigarette. <laughs> well, you can't do that. That's illegal, too. Damn it. Wow. How do you move on from that? <laughs> One of the things that I, I, I think about historically, too, is now I think that we think about the most important relationships in our lives are also usually ones with someone that we have a sexual attraction to. It's the person that we marry, we cohabitate with, we have a family, but historically people had very close relationships with people that they were never intending to marry. And you end up in this like kind of, you know, cause they were not necessarily writing about, you know, my best friend, Sue, am I attracted to her or, is that something that we have between us? Or are we just really good friends because we live in a oppressive patriarchal society that we don't really have close relationships with our husbands? And I think that sometimes it ends up being this question of like, well, the most important thing to figure out is were they lesbians? And to me, I'm like, from a world building perspective, like the most interesting thing to figure out here is like what sets up a world in which that's your expectation primary relationship in your life and that's something that you you value and and what does that really look like what is that dynamic like um because i think that our definitions don't necessarily they're aren't always stretchy enough for all of the experiences that people have um and had historically and can have in second world fantasy well and 
To be fair, that wondering whether or not we're actually into our best friend Sue is a very lesbian thing to do. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is something that you can look to queer communities for because there are lots of relationships, different relationships formed in queer communities that are outside of that marriage aspect. And if you look at um, asexual people, like they still form relationships that are just as close and don't need to have sex and don't need to have that outside validation of that. So even just looking at the queer communities in your area and getting to understand those different dynamics can help you understand those different relationships and begin building a world beyond just that end point of marriage. Because I mean, romance is great. I love romance. I love romance as um, a, a subset of fiction, as something that we write into our fiction, but it's not the only valuable relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot to be explored within that, um, that I think that, you know, queer norm can crack open and kind of say like, hey, what else, what else can we play with here? Crack it open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes with a sledgehammer. Sometimes. And I, I do see <laughs> queer norm doing that and... Again, Sam Hawke's novel with her sibling relationship, like that is a like a deep exploration of a very, because they're siblings, a non-sexual relationship. And just looking at the dynamic between these two people and how they love each other and how they play off each other. And yeah, seeing more relationships like that in fantasy would be amazing. And I feel like we have been seeing more of, of that in the last few years. Along the lines of um, what Rowena was talking about, Especially if you're not doing, say, explicit queer world building and doing that sort of, like, explicitly building up in the story that you're telling, is you can fall into the danger of queer baiting, whether it's accidentally or, or intentionally. And <laughs> I can see that that's, that's a thing you've got some opinions on. <laughs> queer baiting is not allowed anymore. Good. That is, I agree. <laughs> as of 2019, you're not allowed to queer bait. Um, if you queer bait, I will find you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, we don't have any reason for the there for it to be subtext. And that right. was a lot of what queer baiting was, was because we were still, I mean, we're, we are still in a <laughs> Sadly pretty still, oppressive yes. society. <laughs> but we can get away more with that shit now. And we shouldn't have to settle for queer baiting and that, like, queer pining and hoping like basically all of Hannibal was is fine <laughs> I'll be fine <laughs> 10 seasons of Smallville you're not fu- you're not fine are you no I'm not it was beautiful so much blood um but honestly at this point what we need is more straight baiting I- I'm going to ask you to unpack that further because <laughs> yeah. I-, I would love I would love to see more male female couples that don't get together because i feel like that is that is also a relationship that we should be seeing more of is that platonic relationship between the ladies and the men's and to to also just be able to show that that is a thing that can exist because a lot of our fantasy well not just our fantasy a lot of our social cultural context is that if you have a male and a female in the same room they have to boink which is not not what happens 99.9% of the time so I would love more straight baiting Um, I was gonna say I wouldn't call that straight baiting I would call that like life but you know that's me (laughs) but like but I understand where you're coming from with that yeah but but no I I think that you're right that there are people who will who will buy many things and and will the whole like 
can men and women just be friends? They're like, oh, I don't, yeah. Like, yes, of course they can. Come on. Well, there's also, the, there's the stories where you have friendships. like a man and woman just working together and being friends, something like that. And it's a different thing. And then you have something that is probably real straight baiting, like something like Scully and Mulder on the early seasons of X-Files, where it was like, oh, no, yeah. it's just platonic, but we're going to stand here and look at each other in the hallway. <laughs> Silently. But then it, be- it didn't become straight baiting after a while. It, I'm pretty sure. But that, that then became at some point. It became canon, but that was also just like that was that was like fan wish fulfillment stuff rather than. But it was very. Yeah. But they did stuff like oh, <laughs> Skelly pass out. Somebody has to give her mouth to mouth so we can then show this in the promos. Of... <laughs> and things like I'm that. I'm pretty sure Mulder was shirtless a few times yeah. in those early episodes. It's been a while. And covered in blood, which is important. Which is important. Being a romantic <laughs> moment. <laughs> important. But um, in my book, Murder of Mages, I have my two main characters are a man and a woman who are partners on the police force. And there's nothing remotely romantic happening between them. And I had so many reviews being like, oh my god, this is so refreshing to have <laughs> a man and woman just work together and nothing there's nothing that romantic whatsoever happening between them ever in the whole book that's great keep that up yeah at which point i guess that wouldn't be straight meeting but that would also just be something that we need more of we do need more of it because so many people reacted that like like i've not seen this in a book in so long (laughs) (laughs) you're groundbreaking so in terms of how to actually do queer world building and do it well like what are some of the ripple effects you should be thinking about and how do the differing norms affect things in the world you're building how do how do you do it and do it well especially especially if you are a straight cis male like myself who (laughs) wants to do things well and not screw up (laughs) that's a hard question it is Um, because i've never been a straight cis male so (laughs) that's we're coming at it from we all have our experiences I try to channel that sometimes, but it's all a facade. If you're if you're going for queer norm, that is a society where being queer is a part of the society and there's no homophobia, then you do have to think about family structure. You do have to think about inheritance. You do have to think about children, how children happen, who not own the children, but kind of the understanding of Who's how they become part of a family. Yeah. Who's, like, who's feeding them? Yeah. <laughs> Always important. And how to perhaps <laughs> deal with potential donors. Like if they want to be part of the family or if they don't want to be part of the family. And if you don't want them to be a part of the family, how that is also arranged. Um, preferably not through murder. Um, <laughs> so, and then there's, of course, there's... You know, though that's, though that's a great plot device if you need one. We're I mean... giving you a free plot device. It's the... <laughs> It's the murder your donor plot device, everyone. There you go. It is one way to make sure they don't come in 18 years later and try to claim ownership of anything. Uh, <clears throat> dead person can't speak unless you have a necromancer on board, but we're going to go down that here's path an, Here's later. another plot device for you, everyone. It's the... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, yeah, but... And also understanding that a queer norm world isn't necessarily a world free of bigotry. People will find things to hate. They will find ways to other other people, but it's going to be along other lines. 
And I don't want to say that you necessarily always have to write bigotry into your books um, or hatred, but also understanding that we are tribal species and we have the whole 200 monkeys thing going on in our head. Just don't get the, just don't get them a cigarette. That I is... actually know what you're talking about, but I, I, you know about the I do know what you're talking okay. about. But again, I'm going to ask it to unpack that a little. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so there was a scientific study done um, that basically understands that we as humans can only uh, conceptualize a group of people in our in our in our family groups and in our in groups and care about a group as big as 200 people um and that is to say like you can that that changes over time but that's basically your group of people and you can't really care about more than that because then you kind of start forgetting the details of their lives um so yeah so we are basically tribal in that respect and we have our spheres and we do tend to instinctually start to other. And so it is, I do believe it is important to remember that humans are humans and they will always instinctually other. And so if queer norm, queerness is a part of your fabric of your society, there will be other ways that they find to make fun of you for what you do, basically. <laughs> like, like again, in like classical Rome society, there was the whole, you would get made fun of if you were a certain age and still having sex with an older man like there were specific words for that so in your world building <laughs> you might not have words like gay but you might have words like irumator um and i'm not translating that <laughs> so like you have to remember that there will still be things that people will fling at each other there'll still be the graffiti on the wall where they're saying like Steve did such and such and it'll be like it could be a very specific act and it doesn't necessarily have to be a gay act or anything um but remembering that those details will help it also feel a little bit more real and a little bit more authentic um and not just like a pretty hopeful optimist world which if you want to do that that is soft queer norm that is fine you can have comfy reads where like there isn't any of that but it's just something to do intentionally. I'm not citing Catullus on here. <laughs> so I think we are running to the end of our time here. So typically at the end of the episode when we have a guest star, we have them, we invite them to come up with a bit of trivia about the world that we've been building over the course of the podcast to add to that world can be anything and everything whatever you want to add to it so give us give us something brilliant and amazing that you wish to to add to to this bizarreness that we've been putting together it'll be something <laughs> okay so uh, sometime in the distant past um your culture or one of the cultures in your world used to use a certain drug as part of their coming into adulthood ceremony Mm. Um, and the use of this drug would make the the children, uh, adolescents, feel awful, of course. Um, but it also gave them this really cool tattoo, basically. And that would be their, like, adulthood tattoo. But as time has progressed, uh, use of this drug has become illegal because it's actually really, really bad for you. So instead of, <laughs> instead of taking the drug as, as part of this adolescent um, thing, it's become part of the... the design it makes 
is become part of the design of like fabrics and like in architecture and in art and has become a big cultural symbol but a lot of people don't really remember what it comes from um but some kids still take the drug because they really like the the tattoo it makes um but what none of them remember is that certain patterns that come up every like a hundred thousand times are actually magical and can grant you certain powers and so some of these kids end up with powers, but also some of the people wearing these clothes, these random patterns, also come up with pattern powers, as well as some of the walls of your architecture. But it's completely random and no one's figured it out yet. <laughs> I love That's it. That's cool. I like that a lot. <laughs> and, th and that works. And that works their magical system because each, it, like the the world, each area has a different kind of iteration of how magic percolates up and works. Yeah. So that 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 work that flows perfectly you're welcome how... it's almost like yes. i planned that <laughs> yes so that's lovely that is lovely well thank you so much for joining us this has been fun <laughs> um and <laughs> and i hope that you had as much fun as we did yes i did thank you for having me and allowing and, me to ramble and again it is it is now june so kai's new book is out and remind us again your book title? It is the third and the last one is called The Unconquered City. And it is gay and it has assassins and it has demons. And so you want it. I was going to say, what else um, do you need to know to get this book? You, you, you don't, don't need, need to know, know anything, anything else. else. Get this book. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, yes. And I think that we've added a ton to your, your queer TBR tonight. Um, and so I hope that you have happy fantasy queer reading dear listeners thank you again for joining us kai thank you hi you Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. This marks the end of the first year of our podcast, and we're thrilled to have had you on this journey with us. You may have noticed that Alex Rowland has been absent for the past few episodes. They had taken a sabbatical from the podcast for mental health reasons, and with a heavy heart, I have to report that sabbatical has become permanent. We will dearly miss you, Alex, and wish you health and happiness. The door will always be open for you in this world we built together. Our next episode goes up on June 24th, launching a new season and a new regular cast member. We're very excited for you to join us as we embark on the next phase of this continuing world-building adventure. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please take a minute to tell a friend shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there are a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website, and if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast, we'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.